Hey, this is Pastor Stephen again with our uh, midweek Bible study uh, as we're going through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, this um, long series we've entitled Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, I'd encourage you to take a look back at some of the other things. I'm not going to recap as much today, but um, in today's study, we're going to begin chapter 11 of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Solomon has learned and wants to pass on to us that there are uncertainties in life but that doesn't have to stop you from living life to the full. That's what he wants to do in this chapter. There are uncertainties in life, but that doesn't have to stop you from living life to the full. He, Solomon's talked about a ton of uncertainties. He's talked about his process through doubt and angst about life, feeling like there's no meaning, that everything's vanity and meaningless. But now he's saying, I'm realizing that these uncertainties do not overshadow something greater, something bigger than all of the uncertainties. Now, oftentimes, you and I, we don't know what's going to happen next in life. We think we know. We have plans. We have, uh, we have grand, grandly crafted schemes and designs on how life is going to pan out for us, but life has a way of interrupting our plans and knowledge. But that doesn't have to be a source of fear. That doesn't have to be a source of fear. It doesn't have to be a source of chaos. It doesn't have to be a source of stress. You can have peace in the storm, you can continue to feel fulfilled and enjoy life in the midst of some of the most difficult things you could ever imagine. It can be, these things can be an issue of faith and ultimately a source of comfort when you have things in the, in the proper order and perspective. Now last week, well, it's been several weeks ago, in our study of chapter 10, one of the things we talked about is that life is unpredictable and risk is unavoidable. Life is unpredictable and risk is unavoidable. And Solomon says, wisdom understands that there are some things you control, can control and some things you can't. Wisdom understands there is a time for caution, but there is also a point at which you've minimized as much risk as you can, and it's time to go for it because God has called you to it, because God has, has given purpose and meaning and intent to your life. And we don't do this on our own strength, like cutting down a tree with a dull axe. We go to the sharpener, Jesus Christ, who gives us the wisdom we need for success. And here's something you've got to know. God made every person with an intentional design filled with meaning and purpose. Remember last week we said that, that, uh, that we're, all, we're all designed for something and that something is him. But he's also given us a meaning and purpose in him and through him and for him. And so the chief end of every person is God, to know him and be known by him, to love him and be loved by him, and to bring glory to him and be blessed by him. But on a specific level, every person has been given gifts, graces, um, and roles by which those things will be accomplished. Like this world is a dynamic place created um, with the variety and massive creativity of God. And so there are many ways in which the purpose of knowing him and being known by him loving him and being loved by him and bringing glory to him and being blessed by him are accomplished in your life. God has gifted you, yes you, with passions, with dreams, with abilities, with connections, with personalities. Somebody is going to listen to this and they need to hear this today. God made you with a purpose. You are not an accident. God made you with a purpose. You are not an accident. Whether your parents meant to have you or not, whether someone affirmed your value as you were growing up or told you that you'd never amount to anything, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. God made you with intent, with purpose, with meaning. And furthermore, every season of life that you find yourself in is either God-ordained for a purpose or God wants to redeem that season for a purpose. And I make that distinction because it is not true that every, every situation, all the bad things that you find, it, find yourself in are necessarily something that God intended for you. Sometimes they're the result of our bad decisions. Sometimes they're the result of other people's bad decisions. And, and sometimes they're just the result of a broken and fallen world. God, God does not intend evil for your life. However, as Genesis chapter 50 says, as Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50, what, what the enemy intends for evil... God used for, for good what the enemy. So every season of your life. And so I, 
I want to speak to to the to our older listeners, people who maybe feel like your purpose has come and gone, your meaning has come and gone. Maybe your spouse has gone on to be with the Lord and and you feel like the best days of your life are behind you and and you're pretty much just biding your time uh, until God takes you home too or 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 maybe you just you you're not as physically able to do the things that you used to do and so you feel like your purpose or meaning has passed you but every season of your life just like you were not created by accident God either has ordained you for this season or he wants to redeem the season. He wants to give it purpose. He wants to give it meaning. I think it's so important because sometimes people think they've outlived their purpose, but God has a purpose for you right now. Or the younger listeners out there, sometimes you feel like someday God will use your life to make a difference, but right now you've kind of got to, you've, you've kind of got to make a way to have the resources or to be the kind of person that God could use. And while it's true that God is tra- will take you on a journey of transforming your life, taking the head knowledge and moving it 18 inches from your head to your heart, it is not true that God waits until we are somehow perfect or we've reached some imaginary standard that that we've set for ourselves that we'd be worthy of God. No, God is the one who calls us and he calls us where we're at. And he wants to use you right now. And so I think this is important because some people think that their moment, their life is too little right now. It's too mundane. It's too not what they wanted right now to have any kind of purpose. But that is just not true. God made you with a purpose. You're not an accident. And he wants to redeem every moment in your life for a purpose. So we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And... uh, and read about the only way that you can live out the dream that God has for you. Here, here it is. It, it, it's if you, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, because after many days you'll find it again. Whew, yeah, that's good. I'm so glad you're listening right now, right? That is so good. <laughs> what does that mean, cast your bread upon the waters? Like, Is it about feeding ducks? Is this biblical advice about feeding ducks? Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it will return to you. You'll find it again. How will it return? As quackers? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm being silly, but I, I guess I'm just saying, what is this talking about? Like, you throw your loaf of bread on the water, and it'll come back. But even if it does, it'll be soggy. So what good is it, then, if it comes back to you? Well, let me just put it to you this way. The translation here from the original Hebrew, it's it's kind of tough. Uh, but scholars have kind of come to this consensus. They've traced this to be uh, probably a farming or shipping reference, okay? And let me read it to you in the New Living Translation to maybe, um, to maybe make this make a little bit more sense to you. The New Living Translation, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1 says, Send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. Send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. So what I read to you is a more, or before, is a more literal translation of the verse straight from the Hebrew. But this New Living Translation uh, is kind of the gist of what scholars think that it probably meant. This was some kind of saying related to farming and shipping. Send your grain across the seas, and in time, profits will flow back to you. That makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? And here's the context. Israel was primarily agricultural. They grew grain and produce and raised um, livestock. And Solomon is known to have had a very successful royal farm. He would load, he would, he, he would then, after harvest, load the grain up on ships and send them out. And every three years, okay, so he'd send out a harvest, and every three years they'd come back. Uh, filled, the, the ships that he sent out would come back filled with exotic goods from elsewhere, ivory and spices, fine linens. Remember I told you he collected wild, he kind of had a zoo of his own. He collected wild animals, Disney World t-shirts, right? And all sorts of things that he couldn't buy back buy back at home, okay? So what he seems to be saying here is that it's worth the wait to see your, see your stewardship pay off. It's worth the wait to see your investment pay off. It's worth the wait to see, uh, see purpose, your, your purpose and meaning come to fruition. Now, 
hold on just a second, right? Because didn't we say that living for these things, for the for the ivory, the spices, the fine linens, the wild animals, uh, the achievements, the money, the, you know, the, the posh life or whatever, haven't we, hasn't Solomon been saying, haven't we been saying that that was all meaningless, that he found that, that to be all meaningless? Yes. Yes, we have, and I'm so glad you were paying attention. However, what's been occurring here in the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of a gradual shift in Solomon's heart, okay? Solomon's taking us on a journey of understanding the, everything that he, he's been through, the darkness and doubt that he's been through, and now um, understanding is coming, okay? So at the beginning of the book, Solomon spoke of things in the context of, you know, everything under the sun is meaningless, and under the sun is just this way of saying between, in space and time, like the things that are finite, the things that are without God who is infinite, infinite. So here, as he nears the end of his book, he is declaring that all things find their meaning in God and that he, Solomon, has also found his purpose in God. And writing with that perspective that all, all meaning is found in God, Solomon is showing that these are things that can be appreciated and enjoyed instead of idolized. So this is the good news that Solomon is declaring. Following Jesus is not just a hall pass from hell. It's so much more than that. But for a lot of people, that's all being saved means. That's all the gospel, uh, the good news is. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to hell. And don't get me wrong, that's good news. Like, I don't want to go to hell either. But the, the gospel is way more than that. The gospel is that Jesus is king, not only in eternity, but Jesus is king right now. And in Jesus' kingdom where he is king, blessing and, and mercy and goodness will follow his servants and his citizens all the days of their life. So make no mistake, following Jesus would be worth the eternal reward promise. But he's much greater and grander than that. He's full of much more love and goodness than even that. He gives meaning to all things for all time to all people who receive him. And so God wants to inject life and purpose, not just into your eternal destination, but into every part of the space and time you are living right now, which includes the dreams, passions, abilities, relationships, connections that are a part of you right now. And so Solomon has correctly appropriated the weight that he gives to things. Previously, he tried to find meaning in things that couldn't bear that weight. Only God and his glory can bear the weight of meaning. Only God and his glory can bear the weight of meaning. That's worth remembering, worth writing down. And now that Solomon is finding meaning in him, he can enjoy everything else as tools for God's glory and gifts of God's grace instead of objects to be worshipped that leave him feeling emptier than he did before. And so this is an important lesson in Ecclesiastes. Everything you pursue in life is either a gift and a tool from God, or it's an idol in place of God. And it all depends on how you use it. It's all, it all depends on how you see the world around you. You either receive every good thing from God with thanks, because James chapter 1 says every good and perfect gift comes from God above in the heavenly lights. You either use it for God and his glory, or you worship it. And so when you've finally retired from your career as a god, God can use your job to fill your life with meaning as you use it for his glory. When you're no longer consumed with worry, burden, and need for money, money can be a source of joy, not because of pleasure that it can, not because it brings you some kind of eternal pleasure, but because of all the incredible good you can now use your money for. The reward in these things is not always immediate, and that's what Solomon is saying here in verse 1. But the return on investment in godly stewardship is well worth it. You always get back at least what you put in. When you understand that all things find their meaning in giving glory to God and being known by Him, being loved by Him, when, when you understand that, now you can, you can cast your bread out on the waters. You can live life and enjoy all that it has to offer to the full, and, and it, it will come back to you with ships full of, of, of joy, with ships full of peace, with ships full uh, uh, of satisfaction. What not that the ships weren't coming back before God for Solomon, but now they're coming back and the ships are not only full, but his heart is full. And that's what he's getting at 
here is you can you can take the risks and you can you can release control and and send it out in in investment to God and it will come back to you and not only fill not only fill your life but fill your heart okay verse 2 he continues he says give portions to 7 yes to 8 for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land and so what do you do when God blesses your stewardship? What do you do when you give glory and thanks to him with all that you have, when you use everything, every good gift he's given you to, your, to his glory, when you receive it all as a good gift from him? You be generous as your heavenly father is generous. You be perfect in love as your heavenly father is perfect. And, and Solomon just wants to be clear. He's like, don't just be generous. Once you've been generous, be generous some more. That's why he says, Give portions to seven, yes to eight. In other words, give away as much as you can imagine. And when you reach that limit, give away a little bit more. This is this is what God has done for you. And so now this is what he has called you to, is this radical generosity. And here's he gives two reasons, essentially. He says, first of all, because things come and things go. Okay, He says, you, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And, and the phrase that he's saying here in the Hebrew, it means these two things. First of all, things come and things go. So when we hold tightly to these things, what ends up happening is we worship them. And he's, what he's been laying out is that when I worship these things, when I pursued these things for meaning, when I put, when I put that weight on them, they could not bear it. And then those things, they come and they go. He, he talked about earlier in the book about how it, he was tormented for some time with all that he was accomplishing and all that he had accrued because he was going to die and have to leave it to, to kids who probably weren't going to care for it the same way he did. And he was tortured with that. But once he understood, hey, things come and things go, now the full ships are no longer bearing the weight of meaning and purpose, but instead they're in their proper light and he can be generous. Giving he, He's not staying up at night worrying about what's going to happen to his estate because he knows that he's been given the estate by a good God in his generosity, and he is going to be a good king and a generous king himself. And so uh, we need to understand things come and things go. And secondly, because you don't know when you may find yourself in need, okay? So Solomon's saying, be generous when you can be generous, because you don't know when you're going to find yourself in need. Treat others the way you'd want to be treated in the same circumstance. And Jesus said in Matthew 7 that that sums up the entirety of the Law and Prophets. The golden rule is what you've heard maybe before. That comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Okay, continuing in verse 3 and 4, he said, If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Okay, and so here's the gist of what Solomon's saying here. He's, he's saying there's never going to be a perfect time for anything, okay? Like when the clouds are full of water, they're going to rain, and you can't, you can't really predict it. And trees are, trees are going to fall, and they're going to they're gonna lie where they fall, and you can't, you can't pick a perfect plot of land that's going to be able to avoid the natural cycle of things and calamity is going to come and you're going to have to deal with that. There's never going to be a perfect time or place for anything. You can watch the wind and you can, you can watch the clouds, but if you do, you will miss opportunities to reap. You will miss, the, you'll miss the opportunities to plant and to reap. And so you, Solomon's saying you've got windows of opportunity to act on this life that God has given you. You've got windows of opportunity to, to cultivate generosity in your heart. You have these sentient moments where revelations strike you, where, where God reveals truth to you, where God shows you what he wants you to do. He, he calls to you, and you have these windows of opportunity to be obedient. You have windows of opportunity to maximize and act on what he, what he has made you to do and to be. And if you live in the what-ifs, and if you wait for everything to look just the way you want, if you're waiting on a perfect sign from God or perfect venture, perfect conditions to venture out into obedience, if you're always waiting for it all to line up, it's never going to get done. If you're waiting for it to all make sense, you're never going to fully obey. You're never going to fully realize all the potential and opportunities that God has ordained for you. 
There's always a reason. There's always an excuse to not act in faith. There's always a reason. There's always an excuse to serve your own purposes and to put meaning and weight in things that were not meant to bear it instead of trusting God and believing that purpose and fulfillment will come from him. There's always, there's always a reason to hold back the ships instead of sending them out. There's, all, there's always reasons that you can worry about the ships not coming back, not returning on your investment. But Solomon has already said, hey, God, God, let God take care of the return on your investment. You just act and obey in faith, and you cannot wait on everything to line up just right. Okay? There's always a reason to not remain steadfast at the plow where he's called you to plant and reap, right? I see this a lot with people. Like they, they're, looking, they're looking at the clouds. They're looking at the place where they're at, and they're dissatisfied with where they're at. And they think that they can find the perfect place. And they think, and, and maybe God has told them one thing, but he's not told them the next thing. And so they're, they're thinking, well, I must have heard that wrong. And sometimes God just wants us to stay the course and keep moving in faith, believing the last thing that he told us. Um, God's will is not about having it all figured out or everything aligning or, or everything working out in extraordinary ways immediately. Solomon says after many days, you'll find it again. And we, we know from Solomon's life that he sent these ships out. And it was about three years before he saw a return on investment. God's will is about stepping out on faith and then remaining steadfast in that faith uh, being obedient to the last thing he said to you. I want you to think about Abraham, okay? Abraham, he called Abraham to go to this unfamiliar land. And it was a long journey. And they, they get to this unfamiliar land. And it's years uh, before God reveals to him the next part of his plan, which is that he's going to give him a child. And then it's another decade before God re before God actually gives him the child. And and in between all of that, there are places where Abraham and Sarah try to coerce God, try to move his plan along, and all God wants you to, wanted them to do was just to trust him and be faithful to the last thing he told them. I want you to think about Moses and the Israelites, whom uh, the Moses generation missed. Moses and, and his generation missed the promise of God missed the promised land because they didn't remain steadfast in their faith, because they continually grumbled against him. They continually tried to take matters into their own hands. And so instead, it was Joshua who took the land. And Joshua is this model. The book of Joshua, God begins by saying, Joshua, remain steadfast, be courageous. He means to hold on to your faith because you are about to embark on this very difficult journey of seeing my promises fulfilled, but remain steadfast, be courageous and strong in the Lord, for I am with you. The key is that, that God is with him, that he's going to fulfill the promise. He just wants Joshua to obey him step by step. And Joshua and Joshua's people, they stumble at a couple points, but for the most part, they do everything right that Moses and his generation did wrong. And it was simply remaining steadfast and being obedient at each step of the way. They didn't always know the whole plan, but God led them one step at a time. But hey, don't take my word for it. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things, okay? So here Solomon's put it really bluntly. He said, you're never going to figure out everything when it comes to the work of God. You're never going to figure out everything when it comes to the work of God. Have you ever heard the phrase, he works in mysterious ways? That, that maybe your grandma said that. It's true. Like, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Solomon says, You're, we're never going to figure out everything when it comes to the work of God. And he, he uses two examples uh, of to show our limitations um, as to how God and his world, how, how his world and how his plan works. He says, first of all, have you ever considered the fact that y'all can't predict the weather? You can't predict the weather. And isn't that the truth? Meteorologists don't even seem to be able to predict the weather. And, and actually, I have a friend who's a meteorologist, and I was talking to her one time, and she said, you know, the truth is we can really only predict with high probability the weather up to three days out. 
three days is maximum probability that or the max the, the maximum amount of time that they can predict with a high probability the weather but even then like haven't you ever like seen a weather forecast that at the very moment was different than what was actually going on outside it, it, even even the best models even the best weather models cannot predict the weather a 10-day forecasts are essentially a shot in the dark to generate clicks and and so solomon is saying hey well just like you can't predict the weather which is a uh, basic foundational function of the world that god created you don't know how god works and then he says you can't understand how life is formed okay you can't understand how life is formed i think solomon would be absolutely amazed about how much we've learned about the process of a ba baby growing in the room uh, in the womb but there's still plenty we can't explain at all though uh, i read an article back uh at the beginning of quarantine uh, as some of you know my wife and i are expecting our fourth child any day now at this point but we were reading uh, we were reading all the baby articles like you do when you're when you're expecting and this is an article i came across it was titled 10 things science still can't explain about your baby so here they are first of all there we don't know why children have no memories of their first years we seem to main, we seem to retain so much information and there's so much that our brains are doing at that time soaking up more than ever before and yet we don't have really any memories of our first years a scientist can't explain why babies smell so good they can't explain what all the crying means like sometimes it's clear and man parents <laughs> say amen right sometimes you can tell what your baby wants and other times it can just be absolutely miserable there's no sense or rhyme or reason to the crying right uh scientists can't explain why your baby doesn't sleep always sleep through the night uh why, why, why don't they sleep through the night? It seems, logically speaking, that it'd be good for them to sleep through the night for the parents' sake and for the household's sake. And so why, why, do, why do they sleep so intermittently? Science can't explain it. Um, science can't explain why or how babies experience pain. If you ever notice how resilient babies are, like sometimes it just seems like things that should really hurt don't hurt them at all. And so n nobody really knows how a baby experiences pain. Scientists can't, science can't explain your baby's smiles. Sometimes, sometimes I am dead sure that our babies, there was clear purpose in their smile. But uh, other times it can seem totally random and science can't explain it. Science can't explain why babies hiccup so often. They can't explain why babies bang their head on purpose, like, I have distinct memories of two of my three children so far thinking it's absolutely hilarious to just slam their head back in their high chair at the dinner table like the noise that it makes we could for some reason that's like a common thing across all uh, all children that they bang their head on purpose and they can't explain it science can't explain uh, how your baby has such an iron grip or why science also finally can't explain why babies decide to walk in a world where every where they are nurtured um utterly and completely why do they why do they venture out and take that big risk what compels them to to crawl and then to pull up and then to begin to attempt to take their first steps so um there is much that we have learned but there's still a lot we don't understand and for everything we do understand scientists have not even scratched the surface on on a way to create intelligent life themselves so solomon's point is we are just trying to grasp what god has already set in motion and what god has already done in creation let alone understanding how god's will works in our ind individual lives and what he's doing presently and behind the scenes as he works out his plan in our lives okay so we we get these big existential questions about like why am i in this trial why hasn't this worked out yet if this was god's will which it seems so certain that it was back here for me to pursue this then why don't i feel it now and why why does it all seem to be going bad those those questions solomon is saying are completely frivolous you can take comfort instead in the uncertainty because god knows how it all works he, he says you you've got to just trust and you've got to obey in faith 
you got to stake your life on his, knowing him, being known by him, loving him, being loved by him, uh, glorifying him and being blessed by him, and just rest in the fact that he takes care of the rest. Solomon says, you can take comfort in the uncertainty because God knows how it all works. Corey Ten Boom was a, was a, a Dutch national who uh, she and her family hid Jews from uh, Nazi Germany in their home. And uh, eventually they were caught and Corey Ten Boom was sent to a, um, to a concentration camp where she endured its horrors and survived its horrors and later wrote about it, wrote about her journey to forgiving her captors and her tormentors. Um, and, and she has this to say. She says, it's never crazy to trust an unknown future to a known God. It's never crazy to trust an unknown future to a known God. Trusting the unknown to the known capital K. I like, to, I like to capitalize the things that give reference to God because it just helps me put things in perspective. Trusting the unknown to the known is the essence of living as holy saints before God. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in what? The known, the God who has revealed himself to us and who handles all of the uncertain and unknown aspects of life. Hebrews eleven six 6 in fact says, it is impossible, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't, we don't let what we see with our eyes, the uncertainties that we're experiencing with our senses, guide us. We let our faith in God, who though we don't understand everything about him, we do know him and we know he knows us. And that's what we walk, walk in. What does walking in faith look like most of the time? Walking in faith most of the time looks like one step at a time. Walking in faith most of the time looks like one step at a time. I, I'm captivated by the image in Psalm 119 verse 105 that says, His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The, the lamp being just this little itty bitty lantern that could just light one step, maybe two steps in front of you. It's not us. I've, I've, I've said for a few years now that we want God to be a spotlight. We want his will to be a spotlight to our lives. But his promise is it will be a lamp to our feet, a little light to our path. So when Peter walked on water, he simply said to the Lord, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. So he begins in faith and Jesus responds by lighting his next step. He says, okay, come to me. Get out of the boat and come to me. So that's what Peter did. He didn't, And he didn't give Peter a step-by-step -step process. He didn't give him techniques for walking on the water. He didn't even tell him. See, we know that the reason he began to sink is because he took his eyes off Jesus, because he stopped trusting. He stopped stepping in faith. But Jesus didn't lay that all out for him He, because it's already laid out for us. The righteous will live by faith. So if Jesus says, come to me, then we live by the faith that either... He will help us get to him across the waves and through the storm. Or if we sink, he will rescue us either now or in eternity. One way or the other, God, the known God, takes care of all of the unknown. And we just walk in faith. We must take steps of faith as Christ calls us, calls to us by his spirit. This is how we, this is how we come to know him. This is how many of you came to know him, right? In the first place, isn't it? Like when you first felt beckoned, to ask his forgiveness, confess your need for him, and decided to follow Jesus. Wasn't it just one step? Did you understand all that it was going to require of you? Did you did you know the Bible frontward and back? Did it has have you learned nothing in your journey since that day? Or has there been so much more to this than but it was just one step of faith in the beginning? If you're if you're listening now and you're waiting until your life looks like something until you feel like you're worthy of God or you've paid paid your penance or you you've made it to this season in life or you have this or that to offer all you already have everything everything that you can offer right now which is really nothing except to just say here I am Lord your servant is listening here I am Lord your servant is listening that's how you come to God just one step 
of faith at a time. Uh, the United States Postal Service uh, ha does not actually have an official motto. However, maybe you heard like I did growing up this for this idea, and I thought I grew up thinking this was the Postal Service's motto: neither snow nor rain, nor heat nor gloom of night. Like I thought that the, that the mail will go through, right? Uh, but that is not that that is not an official motto. And the actual saying goes this way: neither snow nor rain, nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. So that is actually inscribed on um, the, the granite out in front of the New York City Post Office at 8th Avenue and was chosen by the architect who was a history buff and it came from the, per the, the book The Persian Wars by Herodotus, okay? And the idea was, hey, like we, we can't predict the weather but we will be resolute in completing, the, making sure you get the mail, make, making sure... Making sure you know that the British are coming, as Paul Revere did, as Paul Revere did, as a, a precursor to the to the couriers of the postal service, or um, making sure that you get that letter from uh, Grandma, who's or or from from Pa, who's gone out to the West to see if he can make a life for you. Making sure, okay. Uh, the idea is that no matter what, we are resolute in completing the task that's been given us, one step at a time. The snow may slow us down, the rain and the heat may may weary and make our job more difficult, the gloom of night may be creeping upon us, but we will finish our job as swiftly and completely as we possibly can, okay? And so Solomon has said, we can't predict the weather, but you can be resolute in your response to it because you trust the unknown is not bigger than the known, and the known God will help you get through the snow. He'll help you get through the rain. He'll help you get through the gloom of night and through the heat of life. And this is so important because we're often held back from all that God has for us by our reluctance about failure. But what we see in, in Peter walking on the water and in Jesus' calling of these teenage disciples who miss the point and mess up again and again, is that he's not worried about failure. He just wants faith and obedience. That's why he keeps he keeps going with those guys when they fail him, because they make declarations like, to whom else would we go? You have the words of life. That what it, That's what it means to walk by faith, to get up when you fail, and to just, or when things get hard, and when Jesus says, will you leave me too? We look at him and say, no, you have the words of life. We trust you're the known, you're the one known quantity. You're the one sure thing. When everything else is uncertain, you are certain. That's what it means to walk by faith, one step at a time, trusting in the known God. And failure, my friends, it does not signal the end. Look at verse 6. He says in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. So this verse describes a farmer who sows in the evening and then goes out, or sows in the morning and then goes out again in the evening. And he either sows some more or he works at some other job or trade. But, the, but what he says is the farmer doesn't know what, what is going to succeed, what seed is going to grow, the morning or the evening seed, what job is going to bring is going to provide for his family this year. So the farmer sows regularly. The, the farmer is diligent to be working and, and plying all of his skills and trades, all of his passions and abilities for the support of his family. And likewise, the person who's walking in faith is, is diligent to ply all the gifts and dreams that God has given them for his glory because we don't know which ones are going to succeed and which ones are going to fail. And we, we see this in Jesus. In Jesus' parable about the sowing, he describes the gospel as something that God scatters all over the place, just throwing it everywhere willy-nilly, just looking for good soil because who knows where the good soil will be. And this tells me you can't tell what the end of something is going to be like from its beginning. So we just keep sowing in faith. You, you just keep sowing in faith. You're not responsible for the outcome of your faith, but God has called you to sow in faith perpetually. It's not about the result. God takes care of the result. It's about our faithfulness in each moment. It's about our faithfulness in each moment. So complacency 
is not a part of following Jesus. Comfort is not a part of following Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Peace is a part of following Jesus, yes. Rest is a part of following Jesus, yes. But getting too comfortable, resting on our laurels, so to speak, comfort to the point of complacency is not a part of following Jesus. We are constantly following in his footsteps. We're constantly after him. And Jesus Jesus had this work ethic about building the kingdom that just the disciples could hardly fathom. They would say, Lord, you need to stop and eat. And he would say, I have food you don't even know about. <laughs> my, my relationship with the known God and, and my, my work at plying the trade, plying the abilities, plying the anointing that he's given me is food for my stomach. That doesn't mean like that doesn't mean that it's pious and holy to go without eating. But the point is, as Solomon says here, we are called to sow in the morning and the evening, to put our hands to the plow and work at the things that God has given us, to take care of our families and and to just to make everything turn everything to his glory. And that requires a continual faith an unswerving trust, a steadfast obedience in the morning and the evening. So let's let's sum, up, sum that up this way. Let's say this. Don't be afraid of failure. Be afraid of not trying. Don't be afraid of failure. Be afraid of not trying. It, it's, only, it's only if we are not striving in faithfulness to what God has done. It's not if we fail. It's if we're not trying. That's the issue. Don't be afraid of failure. Be afraid of not trying. Finally, in verse 7, uh, Solomon says, Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Okay, that's verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. And um, some of you may know, but we're my, my wife and I are homeschooling our kids this year. When, when school started here in Tennessee, uh, we didn't know for sure, like what school was going to look like, if they were going to be in and out a lot because of the rise and fall of the virus spreading and all of that. Um, school starts early in Tennessee and there was just a lot of uncertainties. And so we just decided, you know, as, as our middle son is learning to read in kindergarten this, this year and stuff, that just having the consistency of a classroom that's not going to change uh, was going to be beneficial. And so anyway, so we're homeschooling our kids this year. And as a part of that, we're teaching a Bible class studying the book of John. Teaching a Bible class studying the book of John. Um, and John's gospel begins declaring that Jesus is God who came to the earth in our flesh, revealing God to us and making way um, a path to life. And in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. It says, in the word, which is Jesus, or in him was life, and that life was the light of men. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, showing the way, right? And Jesus would later say about himself in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, Solomon says, light is sweet. Solomon has discovered the light of life. He's discovered the light of the world and, the, and discovered uh, the light that lights the path of men who, brings, who leads us to life. He's discovered that life and meaning and purpose and everything else are found in Jesus. And the life that Solomon has found in Jesus has given light to his life. And Solomon says, oh, it's so sweet. It's, it's so sweet, this light that I'm living in before my life was shrouded in darkness. There was so much doubt, so much uncertainty, and everything seemed meaningless and vain. But oh, how sweet it is to have finally put things in a perspective and shed some light on this darkness. It's so sweet, so sweet that I have joy in the everyday stuff again. He, he says, I... I, I uh, it pleases the eyes to see the sun, where before he's been saying, everything under that sun is meaningless. And now he's saying, oh, I can enjoy the sunlight again. I can enjoy what I do under the sun again. Previously, it was a reminder of meaningless, but now in this light of Christ, I have life. And he says in verse 8, so however many years you give, so there's a lesson there, life is a gift from God. And he says, but he says, however many years God gives you, enjoy it. 
enjoy it. What a shift in his attitude, right? If you've, if you've hung with us through most of this series, there have been some really kind of like bummer, uh, dark thoughts that Solomon has had. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been there. But here is Solomon saying, out of that darkness, I, fi- I finally saw the light, and it is so sweet. What a relief. What a joy. My life is whole again. It's, 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 feels, it's complete. I found meaning and purpose. It's so good. It's so good. And that's available to you. And that's, a, that's why Solomon closes with this revelation, which at first is seemingly odd, but it's, a, it's an interesting and important thought. Let's finish verse 8. He, he says, But let, let, it, let him remember, let, let, let every person remember the days of darkness, for they will be many, and everything to come is meaningless. And you're like, wait, I thought it, it was just sounding so lighthearted and that Solomon was finally figuring things out. What is this? Like, that is kind of odd, right? Didn't he finally put it all together? Why the doom and gloom again? But it's interesting. It's important because it's not doom and gloom this time. Instead, it's reflection. Uh, instead, it's a call to remembrance. See, so Solomon says, we need to remember the darkness. We're, we live in the light when we, when we understand that all is to be unto God and that all everything comes from God. But we need to remember the darkness for three reasons. Number one, because the darkness is where the light found us. And we need to remember how, how much better it is. In the, we need to contrast the darkness and the light. We need to remind ourselves when we're tempted to find meaning or, or to put weight on things that can't bear the, weren't made to bear the weight, what it was like in that darkness when we tried to derive our purpose from those things. We need, to, we need to remember where we came from, remember where the light found us. Secondly, we need to remember the darkness because the light does not eliminate our struggle, right? You can, certainly in the darkness, you're much more likely to trip and fall. But even in the light, there are obstacles. Even in the light, we are prone to fall. We're prone to make mistakes. We're prone to get lost. Certainly the darkness enhances those risks, enhances those struggles. But light doesn't completely eliminate the struggle. There will be dark days to come, Solomon is saying. And so we, we need to remember the darkness. We need to remember that the light had victory over the darkness. We need to remember that, that the light endures and outlasts and is stronger than the darkness. Jesus taught us the same thing several a, a few thousand years later or a few hundred years later when he sat down with his disciples and he said he the light of the world said that he was about to be shrouded in darkness but he taught them that this darkness this this darkness that's about to take place on my life it's going to be your victory and i want you to remember the darkness that i'm going through so that when you face dark days you will be able to take heart because you will know that I have overcome the world. And we now call that communion. And we take the bread and we say, this is Christ's body broken for us. That's a dark season. The light of the world shrouded in darkness. This is, and we drink the cup and we say, this is the, this is the uh, Christ's blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. That's, a, that's the light shrouded in darkness and death. And Jesus said, I want you to remember this because you'll be able to take heart that the light did overcome the darkness of the world. And so we need, we need to... Re- we need to remember the darkness because we need to remember the light doesn't eliminate the struggle, but it does win the victory in the end. And finally, we need to remember the darkness because we need to live with the end in mind, okay? We started this lesson by saying Jesus is not just a, a hall pass from hell. He is life and light for right now. But we do have an eternal hole in our heart. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you can go back way to the beginning of the series, uh, that eternity has been placed in our hearts, okay? So we need, we need to remember the darkness because of what Solomon says here at the end of verse 8. He says, everything to come is meaningless. What he's saying is, everything now and later is meaningless apart from this light that I found. Everything now and later, everything will be meaningless if you ignore this truth, this truth now. Everything will be meaningless if you ignore this opportunity now. Everything will be meaningless if you, if you uh, resist obedience now. Everything will be meaningless if you choose to make your own way instead of to walk in faith. And so what I want to do is I just want to close and, and, and say, and say what, do you, what do you need to remember? Are you being tempted into the darkness? 
Do you need to remember that the light is, well, the light is what's sweet? Do you need to remember where light found you in the first place so that you don't go back? Um, do you need to be reminded right now that the light doesn't eliminate the struggle, but it does guarantee, it does guarantee our victory? It does guarantee our victory. Or maybe you're listening right now and you need, you need to, you need satisfaction for the eternity that's been placed in your heart. And I want to tell you what Solomon is. I, I know that there's, you probably have a ton of questions. I know that it doesn't all make sense, that the way of Jesus is very upside down, and that I know that you look at the world sometimes, and his followers don't seem always to be that full of purpose and that full of meaning. And, and so there's a lot of questions. But I, I just want to ask you right now, are you lacking meaning and purpose in your life? And have, have you, like Solomon, tried a lot of things and you keep running into the same brick wall? You find pleasure for a while, but ultimately you're struggling to find the purpose and meaning in life. Solomon was the richest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived. He's had it all. And he's writing to us, he's writing to you today so that you won't miss your window of opportunity, so that you won't, so that you won't, be get stuck waiting for everything to align just right. He's inviting you today to take a step of just one step of faith. Not that not that you're going to have it all figured out. And I just want to I want to tell you that if you, if you need to make that decision today, don't miss that opportunity. And I also want to tell you that that Cookville Nazarene Church that 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 I Pastor Stephen would be happy to walk with you on that journey uh, to that we could take some steps together, um, that, that we could seek these things out together, but it's going to take you, it's right now, it's just one step that you need to make. And so as I pray, I just want to invite you to just in your heart that to, to take a step towards Jesus, to say, I'm going to begin following you. I, I'm going to, I'm going to begin, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to attend a church. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to begin seeking you out. I, I need you. My, my way has not worked out. I confess that that you are Lord, and I don't know what all that means, but I'm but I'm going to come after you, and uh, take one step of faith at a time, starting today. Uh, Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the very unique um, and variousest ways that it teaches us, and and all of the people that that uh, make up its stories and have written its words and the lives that they represent. That that you're not worried about failure. You're just worried about faith. You're just worried about obedience. You're worried about know, knowing us, loving us, and, and us knowing you and loving you. So I just pray, Lord, that, that those that are listening would be encouraged today to know that though your ways are mysterious, you are working, and, and you work all things together for our good. Uh, I pray that those listening today would be encouraged to take a step of faith or to remain steadfast in obedience to the last thing that you've said to them. Um, Lord, I pray that we'd respond to your word, that we would be like the wise man who built his house on the rock and not just hear your words, but also put them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.